Section 44 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 44. Battle of Chattanooga. A gallant charge, complete rout of the enemy, pursuit of the Confederates, General Bragg, remarks on Chattanooga. At twelve o'clock at night, when all was quiet, I began to give orders for the next day, and sent a dispatch to Wilcox to encourage Burnside. Sherman was directed to attack at daylight. Hooker was ordered to move at the same hour, and endeavor to intercept the enemy's retreat, if he still remained. If he had gone, then to move directly to Rossville and operate against the left and rear of the force on Missionary Ridge. Thomas was not to move until Hooker had reached Missionary Ridge. As I was with him on Orchard Knob, he would not move without further orders from me. The morning of the 25th opened clear and bright, and the whole field was in full view from the top of Orchard Knob. It remained so all day. Bragg's headquarters were in full view, and officers, presumably staff officers, could be seen coming and going constantly. The point of ground which Sherman had carried on the 24th was almost disconnected from the main ridge occupied by the enemy. A low pass, over which there is a wagon road crossing the hill, and near which there is a railroad tunnel, intervenes between the two hills. The problem now was to get to the main ridge. The enemy was fortified on the point, and back farther, where the ground was still higher, was a second fortification commanding the first. Sherman was out as soon as it was light enough to see, and by sunrise his command was in motion. Three brigades held a hill already gained. Morgan L. Smith moved along the east base of Missionary Ridge, Loomis along the west base, supported by two brigades of John E. Smith's division, and Corps, with his brigade, was between the two, moving directly towards the hill to be captured. The ridge is steep and heavily wooded on the east side, where M. L. Smith's troops were advancing, but cleared, and with a more gentle slope on the west side. The troops advanced rapidly and carried the extreme end of the rebel works. Morgan L. Smith advanced to a point which cut the enemy off from the railroad bridge and the means of bringing up supplies by rail from Chickamauga Station, where the main depot was located. The enemy made brave and strenuous efforts to drive our troops from the position we had gained, but without success. The contest lasted for two hours. Course, a brave and efficient commander, was badly wounded in this assault. Sherman now threatened both Bragg's flank and his stores, and made it necessary for him to weaken other points of his line 
to strengthen his right. From the position I occupied, I could see column after column of Bragg's forces moving against Sherman. Every Confederate gun that could be brought to bear upon the Union forces was concentrated upon him. J. E. Smith, with two brigades, charged up the west side of the ridge to the support of Corse's command, over open ground and in the face of a heavy fire of both artillery and musketry, and reached the very parapet of the enemy. He lay there for a time, but the enemy coming with a heavy force upon his right flank, he was compelled to fall back, followed by the foe. A few hundred yards brought Smith's troops into a wood, where they were speedily reformed when they charged and drove the attacking party back to its entrenchments. Seeing the advance, repulse, and second advance of J. E. Smith from the position I occupied, I directed Thomas to send a division to reinforce him. Baird's division was accordingly sent from the right of Orchard Knob. It had to march a considerable distance directly under the eye of the enemy to reach its position. Bragg at once commenced massing in the same direction. This was what I wanted. But it had now got to be late in the afternoon, and I had expected before this to see Hooker crossing the ridge in the neighborhood of Rossville and compelling Bragg to mass in that direction also. The enemy had evacuated Lookout Mountain during the night, as I expected he would. In crossing the valley, he burned the bridge over Chattanooga Creek and did all he could to obstruct the roads behind him. Hooker was off bright and early with no obstructions in his front but distance and the destruction above named. He was detained four hours crossing Chattanooga Creek, and thus was lost the immediate advantage I expected from his forces. His reaching Bragg's flank and extending across it was to be the signal for Thomas's assault of the ridge. But Sherman's condition was getting so critical that the assault for his relief could not be delayed any longer. Sheridan's and Wood's divisions had been lying under arms from early morning, ready to move the instant the signal was given. I now directed Thomas to order the charge at once. I watched eagerly to see the effect, and became impatient at last that there was no indication of any charge being made. The center of the line which was to make the charge was near where Thomas and I stood, but concealed from view by an intervening forest. Turning to Thomas to inquire what caused the delay, I was surprised to see Thomas J. Wood, one of the division commanders who was to make the charge, standing talking to him. I spoke to General Wood, asking him why he did not charge as ordered an hour before. He replied very promptly that this was the first he had heard of it, but that he had been ready all day to move at a moment's notice. I told him to make the charge at once. He was off in a moment, 
and in an incredibly short time loud cheering was heard and he and sheridan were driving the enemy's advance before them towards missionary ridge the confederates were strongly entrenched on the crest of the ridge in front of us and had a second line half way down and another at the base our men drove the troops in front of the lower line of rifle pits so rapidly and followed them so closely that rebel and union troops went over the first line of works almost at the same time many rebels were captured and sent to the rear under the fire of their own friends higher up the hill those that were not captured retreated and were pursued the retreating hordes being between friends and pursuers caused the enemy to fire high to avoid killing their own men in fact on that occasion the union soldier nearest the enemy was in the safest position without awaiting further orders or stopping to reform on our troops went to the second line of works over that and on for the crest thus effectually carrying out my orders of the eighteenth for the battle and of the twenty-fourth for this charge i watched their progress with intense interest the fire along the rebel line was terrific cannon and musket balls filled the air but the damage done was in small proportion to the ammunition expended the pursuit continued until the crest was reached and soon our men were seen climbing over the confederate barriers at different points in front of both sheridan's and wood's divisions the retreat of the enemy along most of his line was precipitate and the panic so great that bragg and his officers lost all control over their men many were captured and thousands threw away their arms in their flight sheridan pushed forward until he reached the chickamauga river at a point above where the enemy crossed he met some resistance from troops occupying a second hill in rear of missionary ridge probably to cover the retreat of the main body and of the artillery and trains it was now getting dark but sheridan without halting on that account pushed his men forward up this second hill slowly and without attracting the attention of the men placed to defend it while he detached to the right and left to surround the position the enemy discovered the movement before this disposition was complete and beat a hasty retreat leaving artillery wagon trains and many prisoners in our hands to sheridan's prompt movement the army of the cumberland and the nation are indebted for the bulk of the capture of prisoners artillery and small arms that day except for his prompt pursuit so much in this way would not have been accomplished while the advance up missionary ridge was going forward general thomas with staff general gordon granger commander of the corps making the assault and myself and staff occupied orchard knob from which the entire field could be observed the moment the troops were seen going over the last line of rebel defenses i ordered granger to join his command and mounting my horse i rode to the front 
General Thomas left about the same time. Sheridan, on the extreme right, was already in pursuit of the enemy east of the ridge. Wood, who commanded the division to the left of Sheridan, accompanied his men on horseback in the charge, but did not join Sheridan in the pursuit. To the left, in Baird's front, where Bragg's troops had massed against Sherman, the resistance was more stubborn and the contest lasted longer. I ordered Granger to follow the enemy with Wood's division, but he was so much excited and kept up such a roar of musketry in the direction the enemy had taken that by the time I could stop the firing the enemy had got well out of the way, the enemy confronting Sherman, now seeing everything to their left giving way, fled also. Sherman, however, was not aware of the extent of our success until after nightfall when he received orders to pursue at daylight in the morning. As soon as Sherman discovered that the enemy had left his front, he directed his reserves, Davis's division of the Army of the Cumberland, to push over the pontoon bridge at the mouth of the Chickamauga and to move forward to Chickamauga Station. He ordered Howard to move up the stream some two miles to where there was an old bridge, repair it during the night, and follow Davis at four o'clock in the morning. Morgan L. Smith was ordered to reconnoiter the tunnel to see if that was still held. Nothing was found there but dead bodies of men of both armies. The rest of Sherman's command was directed to follow Howard at daylight in the morning to get on to the railroad towards Graysville. Hooker, as stated, was detained at Chattanooga Creek by the destruction of the bridge at that point. He got his troops over, with the exception of the artillery, by fording the stream at a little after three o'clock leaving his artillery to follow when the bridge should be reconstructed he pushed on with the remainder of his command at rossville he came upon the flank of a division of the enemy which soon commenced a retreat along the ridge this threw them on palmer they could make but little resistance in the position they were caught in and as many of them as could do so escaped many however were captured hooker's position during the night of the twenty-fifth was near rossville extending east of the ridge palmer was on his left on the road to graysville during the night i telegraphed to wilcox that bragg had been defeated and that immediate relief would be sent to burnside if he could hold out to halleck i sent an announcement of our victory and informed him that forces would be sent up the valley to relieve Burnside. Before the Battle of Chattanooga opened, I had taken measures for the relief of Burnside the moment the way should be clear. Thomas was directed to have the little steamer that had been built at Chattanooga loaded to its capacity with rations and ammunition. Granger's Corps was to move by the south bank of the Tennessee River to the mouth of the Holston, and up that to Knoxville accompanied by the boat. In addition to the supplies transported by boat, the men were to carry 
forty rounds of ammunition in their cartridge boxes and four days rations in haversacks in the battle of chattanooga troops from the army of the potomac from the army of the tennessee and from the army of the cumberland participated in fact the accidents growing out of the heavy rains and the sudden rise in the tennessee river so mingled the troops that the organizations were not kept together under their respective commanders during the battle hooker on the right had geary's division of the twelfth corps army of the potomac osterhaus's division of the fifteenth corps army of the tennessee and Cruft's division of the army of the cumberland sherman had three divisions of his own army howard's corps from the army of the potomac and jefferson c davis's division of the army of the cumberland there was no jealousy hardly rivalry indeed i doubt whether officers or men took any note at the time of the fact of this intermingling of commands all saw a defiant foe surrounding them and took it for granted that every move was intended to dislodge him and it made no difference where the troops came from so that the end was accomplished the victory at chattanooga was won against great odds considering the advantage the enemy had of position and was accomplished more easily than was expected by reason of bragg's making several grave mistakes first in sending away his ablest corps commander with over twenty thousand troops second in sending away a division of troops on the eve of battle third in placing so much of a force on the plain in front of his impregnable position it was known that mr jefferson davis had visited bragg on missionary ridge a short time before my reaching chattanooga it was reported and believed that he had come out to reconcile a serious difference between bragg and longstreet and finding this difficult to do planned the campaign against knoxville to be conducted by the latter general i had known both bragg and longstreet before the war the latter very well we had been three years at west point together and after my graduation for a time in the same regiment then we served together in the mexican war i had known bragg in mexico and met him occasionally subsequently i could well understand how there might be an irreconcilable difference between them bragg was a remarkably intelligent and well-informed man professionally and otherwise he was also thoroughly upright but he was possessed of an irascible temper and was naturally disputatious a man of the highest moral character and the most correct habits yet in the old army he was in frequent trouble as a subordinate he was always on the lookout to catch his commanding officer infringing his prerogatives as a post commander he was equally vigilant to detect the slightest neglect even of the most trivial order 
I have heard in the old army an anecdote very characteristic of Bragg. On one occasion, when stationed at a post of several companies, commanded by a field officer, he was himself commanding one of the companies and at the same time acting as post quartermaster and commissary. He was first lieutenant at the time, but his captain was detached on other duty. As commander of the company, he made a requisition upon the quartermaster, himself, for something he wanted. As quartermaster, he declined to fill the requisition and endorsed on the back of it his reason for so doing. As company commander, he responded to this, urging that his requisition called for nothing but what he was entitled to, and that it was the duty of the quartermaster to fill it. As quartermaster, he still persisted that he was right. In this condition of affairs, Bragg referred the whole matter to the commanding officer of the post. The latter, when he saw the nature of the matter referred, exclaimed, My God, Mr. Bragg, you have quarreled with every officer in the army, and now you are quarreling with yourself. Longstreet was an entirely different man. He was brave, honest, intelligent, a very capable soldier, subordinate to his superiors, just and kind to his subordinates, but jealous of his own rights, which he had the courage to maintain. He was never on the lookout to detect a slight, but saw one as soon as anybody when intentionally given. It may be that Longstreet was not sent to Knoxville for the reason stated, but because Mr. Davis had an exalted opinion of his own military genius, and thought he saw a chance of killing two birds with one stone, on several occasions during the war he came to the relief of the Union Army by means of his superior military genius. I speak advisedly when I saw Mr. Davis prided himself on his military capacity. He says so himself, virtually, in his answer to the notice of his nomination to the Confederate Presidency. Some of his generals have said so in their writings since the downfall of the Confederacy. My recollection is that my first orders for the Battle of Chattanooga were as fought. Sherman was to get on Missionary Ridge, as he did, Hooker to cross the north end of Lookout Mountain, as he did, sweep across Chattanooga Valley and get across the south end of the ridge near Rossville. When Hooker had secured that position, the Army of the Cumberland was to assault in the center. Before Sherman arrived, however, the order was so changed as that Hooker was directed to come to Chattanooga by the north bank of the Tennessee River. The waters in the river, owing to heavy rains, rose so fast that the bridge at Brown's Ferry could not be maintained in a condition to be used in crossing troops upon it. For this reason, Hooker's orders were changed by telegraph back to what they were originally. Note, from this point on, this volume was written, with the exception of the campaign in the wilderness, which had been previously written, by General Grant, 
after his great illness in April, and the present arrangement of the subject matter was made by him between the 10th and 18th of July, 1885. End of section 44. Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas, Jim at jocclev.com.